This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matzo, a nurse practitioner, and I use my experience from working as a nurse for 44 years to help you learn what you need to know about what happens at the end of life. And I'm Charlie Navarrete, an actor in New York City, here to remind you that one day you or a loved one, well, actually both of you, are going to die, and you should prepare for that. So, please relax and get yourself something splendid to snack and sip on and put your feet up. And thank you for joining us in our multiverse and spending the next hour with Charlie and me as we talk about using exercise to manage depression and anxiety. In the first half, Charlie talks about the lost art of funeral confectionery, and I have our recipe of the week. In the second half, our CEO, David, joins us to discuss how to exercise depression and anxiety with exercise. And in our third half, Charlie has an essay about happiness. So I was posting on Facebook, as Mm -hmm. I tend to do, and posted something about the old Verner's plant in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And Gretchen Moorhead, who's from Detroit, uh, messaged me, and she said, I can't stand to drink that stuff. But we have an awesome recipe for pot roast. (laughs) She brings to family (laughs) events, and it disappears. So I said, well, Gretchen, I need that recipe. So she gave me the recipe, and she said that we could share it with our Everyone Dies listeners. And it's just you throw all the stuff in the crock pot, and then you eat it. And it's really, really easy. So we're going to post that um, on our website so you can, if you can't stand to drink the stuff, which actually I really don't much care for how it tastes. Because Uh I associate, my mother always would warm it and give it to us when we were sick. And so I associate... Verner's and the smell of Verner's with being sick oh, and really? plus, oh, all right. there's no joy in warm Verner's. <laughs> there's just no joy. You know what? <laughs> for for uh, our listeners not familiar with Verner's, I I don't even I don't even know how to describe that taste. It's not ginger ale. Right. It's I mean, how, well, how it, it is. How it is. It is ginger because I was reading about it. It is very gingery, but there's but something it's, it's else. An, it's, an old, it's, old, it's old school ginger. It's is old that school what it ginger. is? Yeah. You don't know that. So that you said that, it's, and I can't think of, there's examples of this, um, and I can't think of what. So maybe you folks can you know, fill in the blanks for me. Yeah, it's, it's just a type of like traditional ginger. Oh, poo. And there are products out there. I mean, um, and, and it was could, originally could, meant for medicinal purposes. It wasn't meant to be a pop Yeah, or yeah, something. exactly. Because it was ginger, ginger ale. Um, and right. I, I mean, and there are still products out there that are ginger ale, but not something, you know, you find at the grocery store. But indeed, you know, recipes from 100, that's crazy, from 100 years ago. That right. is ginger. Yeah, you know, ginger oriented. Yeah. And I was, I was looking up to see if there was a, if uh, Gretchen's recipe had been posted online, and Gretchen, I got to tell you, sister, there is no ginger ale um, pot roast that's like yours, like your recipe. There's ginger ale pot roast, but not Verner's and not like hers. But I did find a recipe for something called the monkey spanker. Do you know what that is? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Think, think, think of what you just asked, Marianne. Do you know what that is? Do you really want me to... <laughs> 
to speculate over the air what that could possibly be. I don't think well, so. I'll, so. So please I'll enlighten save, us. <laughs> I'll save you the speculation and the embarrassment. Okay. It's a large jigger of bourbon and a 12-ounce 12 12 can of Verner's. And really? Yeah, mix it together. And yeah, it's called a monkey spanker. Yeah, that's not what that's that none of that's on my list. But go ahead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, depending on the kind of funeral you're going to, you could <laughs> yeah, bring no a kidding. monkey spanker. Uh-huh. Or you could bring yourself this really easy pot roast that people will think you put an awful lot of effort in, but yeah, it didn't. You know, so okay. Charlie, so this is good. So next what? time I'm, I'm, uh, next time I'm back in the motherland, I will have to uh yeah, I'll, have have to, I'll, I'll need to contact Detroit um, and see if anyone's heard of this. All right, so uh, okay, there we are. Good. Got a well. We have work. out here. We have mm-hmm. a pops soda place, which yeah. has like pop from all over the world, and they carry Verners. They have Verners really? there. So I'm sure you could find Verners in New York City. I mean, really. We have okay. Fine. I'm. You have a thing. a quest. An omission. Quest. Da, 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 right. da, 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 da. To be spanked by a monkey. Yes, there we are. That's that's my quest and that's my mission. You figured it out. Okay. <clears throat> yes. And so speaking, what do you have for our first half? Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of spanking the monkey, no. Well, after that, um, actually, um, we're looking at the lost art of funeral confectionery. Now, these uh, basically were beautiful mementos of mourning and. Pretty much all of this has disappeared. In the 19th century, the Swedish upper class distributed ornately decorated candy at important events such as weddings and baptisms, but also funerals. The wrappers of the funeral confectionery were macabre lithographs of skulls, graves, and skeletons. Long fringe on white paper often represented the death of a child, while black paper and fringe was used for adults. In 1884, at the funeral of Adolf Emanuel Kajelin, visitors received solemn keepsakes. Small, sugar-sculptured doves perched among black lace attached to pieces of black paper. Inside each wrapper was a piece of hard, let's just call it candy. Some mourners wrote messages on the mementos. Some left heart-wrenching inscriptions. Adolf's mother, Maria, wrote, Our beloved son, Adolf Emanuel, died on October 28th. Today, Maria's somber suite can be seen in Stockholm's Nordiska Museum as part of their collection of Swedish funeral confectionery. The candies were part of a 19th century trend among the Swedish upper class. When families distributed ornately decorated candy at important events like funerals, weddings, baptisms, and anniversaries. For happy occasions, wrappers featured bright colors and images, such as babies, crowns, or pink ribbons. But funeral confectionery design was macabre. The wrappers, as I mentioned, were lithographs of skulls, graves, and skeletons. The thinking was, we are dealing with death here and a great loss, so visually the expressions were gloomy and morbid, said Ulrika Toro, a curator and an author, at the Nordiska Museum, you were not making something milder than it really was. For example, the candy that marked the death of a Mrs. Savelli in 1844. Its wrapper depicts a skeletal figure snipping the strings of time with scissors. And to make sure you understood, 
It also featured a scythe resting beneath an hourglass. Even children's funeral confectionery did not shy away from the stark finality of death. According to the inscription on a candy wrapper, Ernst Axel Jacob von Post was, quote, baptized in distress. Shortly after he was born on May 3, 1871, and died the next day. Attendees at his memorial received sweets covered in white paper, a common color denoting a child's death, with a glossy black label that bore a tombstone and a skull and crossbones. Another rapper read, Think of death, the hour strikes. The symbolism of the beautifully designed confections was far more important than the sweets inside. Sugar was a valuable commodity. The candies were precious objects meant to be treasured, not eaten. Some confectioners would use chalk or other cheap materials in the candies to reduce costs, thinking no one would eat it. They were hard like stone, and there were stories of children who tried to eat these candies. Eating funeral confectionery was ill-advised and considered disrespectful. By the end of the 19th century, funeral confectionery had spread throughout Sweden, from the bourgeois in the cities to the peasants in the countryside. When beet sugar became increasingly available and inexpensive in the late 1800s, candy became more accessible. As business boom, an entire industry sprouted up around ritual confectionery. Imported labels led to a shift in the candy's imagery. Skulls, coffins, and graves were replaced by angels, Jesus Christ, and the Virgin Mary. Ulrika Torell at the Nordiska Museum says, The images became more anesthetized and standardized expressions for grief. You could see the modernization of mourning with these mass-produced images. As sugar became commonplace, it lost its ritualist significance. You no longer needed to wait for a special occasion to bring out sweets. Swedish funeral confectionery as a practice started to fade in the 1920s and 30s, dying out by the 1960s. Today, it's all but disappeared. They are so full of concern and love, says Torell. It was a time when everything was so expensive, so little sweet with black paper, shining with a cross and a Madonna, was really something special. And, you know, Marianne, um, and, okay, honestly, I didn't look hard enough. The, um, I, I tried to find if we had something similar here um, in the States, and I didn't find anything. But it, it seems like, we, I don't know, have you ever heard of anything like that? I haven't. Um, no. But, yeah. again, I, ha- I haven't researched it either, so. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's a lot I don't know, Charles. Yeah, I mean, there's a no, not you. You know everything, and 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 you keep reminding us. Uh, so um, yeah, I will have to look this up though. So, uh, folks, please go to our webpage for the recipe for the Ferner's pot roast and additional resources for this program. We have a small favor to ask. Thousands of you have placed your trust in Everyone Dies as a source of trusted information about serious illness dying, death, and bereavement. We are asking for your support in the form of a tax-deductible contribution so that we can continue to offer you quality programming. Thank you in advance for going to our website to make your donation as well as following us on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at 
www.everyonedies.org. That's every, the number one, dies.org. Marianne, or maybe in this case, I should say, David. Thanks, Charlie. This is David Gillette. I'm here to give you another uh, input on how to uh, address mood and anxiety, depression that you might have as a result of some major uh, disease or uh, loss of a loved one. Um, So a few weeks ago, we discussed the effects of mindfulness meditation on mood, anxiety, and depression. Another strategy for coping and or overcoming anxiety and depression is exercise. Okay, I can hear the collective groan out there. However, there's plenty of research that validates the positive effects of exercise on mood, anxiety, and depression. In their book, Exercise for Mood and Anxiety, Proven Strategies for Overcoming Depression and Enhancing Well-Being, Otto and Smiths provide evidence-based benefits and a strategy for an exercise program that will have positive effects on your mood and quality of life. They cite one study of 55,000 adults in the United States and Canada that found that people who exercised had fewer symptoms of anxiety and depression. Another study summarized 70 studies uh, that showed uh, that experience, people that had experienced sad or depressive moods reliably report meaningful improvement in their moods after starting an exercise program. Furthermore, a study of 202 adults with major depression diagnoses compared the effects of exercise with that of the antidepressant medication. The results showed that the effects of exercise on depression are similar, if not equivalent, to the antidepressant medication. But those in the study who exercised had the added benefit of being fit at the end of the study. There are a number of explanations to how exercise affects depression and anxiety. One explanation of how exercise may reduce a person's vulnerability to depression and anxiety is that exercise is a stressor and regular exercise forces your body to adapt to the demand placed on it. Because your body has adapted to exercise stress, it more easily handles other types of stress. People from, uh, suffering from depression are two and a half more times likely to have experienced a stressful event in life, such as loss of a loved one. I went through this when my wife of 40 years died suddenly. While I did experience both depression and anxiety, exercise helped me sustain and heal. I also found exercise to be an outlet that helped me fill a huge gap in my life. It doesn't fix everything, but it helps. I guess I would say exercise is a life, was a lifeboat for me as I grieved. A second hypothesis is that exercise affects neurotransmitter levels. Neurotransmitters are chemicals responsible for communication between brain cells. The theory is that reduced levels of neurotransmitters play a role in depression and anxiety. Antidepressant medications such as Paxil are thought to work to improve hormone levels so your system is back in balance. Studies have shown that exercise may be a non-drug equivalent of antidepressant medication. So exercise, exercise does have its benefits, but many for but for many exercise is a chore 
and the benefits are far off. According to doctors Otto and Smits, the evidence is that people uh, focus on health benefits and losing weight when they consider an exercise program. This results in the benefits being far off compared to the immediate ex- need to exercise and decreases motivation. Based on their research and clinical experience, they advocate focusing on the immediate mood benefits of exercise. This makes sense to me as I reflect on my own experiences. I've been a runner for over 50 years. I started out in high school and completed college and continued throughout my Air Force career, but I never did did it for health benefits. I liked the competitive part of the sport, but in truth, I've always just loved running for its own sake. I feel great during and after the run and get a sense of freedom as well as well as well-being. So that's me, but I recognize a lot of people don't enjoy running. So my first recommendation to you is to find an exercise that you enjoy. It sounds trivial, but I've tried several other sports, such as weightlifting, swimming, and golf, but I just can't seem to stay motivated, and I always return to running. Secondly, find someone to share the experience with. This will help you with motivation on those inevitable days when exercise seems like the last thing you want to do. If you're like me, having someone to share it with gets you started, and then you'll enjoy it during and after your exercise. My current running partners are Harley and Luna Grace. You may have heard them barking on our podcast in the past. Also, occasionally dogs in the neighborhood join us for daily runs. Third, whatever sport you choose, don't make it a competition. It's about the process, not about the end state. It's about enjoying the now and not worrying about how you may compare to others. In the running community, there's a saying that helps me keep perspective. It goes, start off slow and then ease off. It reminds me that first and last, I don't have to be fast to enjoy the journey. So so if you're a golfer, don't worry about if you have a high score. Focus on enjoying golf right now, not the score. Next, avoid pushing too hard. You'll experience the mind and body benefits of exercise at lower intensity levels. Also, you're less likely to experience injury if you take it easy, especially when you begin. Nothing is as discouraging as an injury that sidelines you when you started an exercise program. I recommend you consult a trainer. Identify your goals and build a fitness program based on those goals. Set realistic goals that both you and the trainer agree are achievable in your life, given your life situation. Include rest as a key component of your fitness plan. Overtraining can sideline uh, side you due to injury. Your body needs to recover after a workout. And lastly, just have fun. I have fun on almost every run, and I've had it for a lifetime of enjoyment. So, you're experiencing anxiety or depression, consider exercise as part of your treatment plan. It's likely to have an immediate positive effect on your your mood. I'll include all my references in the podcast notes. So, uh, Marianne and Charlie, are you ready to run a marathon with me? Well, I'm happy to be supportive and watch on the sidelines because I just had foot surgery, so I can barely walk. But I'm sure Charlie will be right there with you. I I know how to spell run. Like a like a beer run, 
I, I know how to I know how to spell run. But you know, but you know, David, to your point, what you were saying about um, it's not. Oh, poo! How did you put it? it it's not. It's not about. Um, it's not like a competition. It's about the process, you, not that's about it. the... That's it. Thank you. That's yeah. it. It's about that process. It's not about winning anything. It's just taking care of yourself. That's it. Yeah. You, 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 are, you are in... There is no competition. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a right, process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, feel, I feel better already, David. <laughs> so... Next, in our third half, a beautiful 83-year-old lady who was fully dressed every morning at 8 o'clock sharp with her hair done in fashion and perfectly applied makeup is moving to a retirement home. Her husband recently died, which motivated her to move. After many hours of patiently waiting in the hall of the home, she smiled sweetly when told her room was ready. As she moved her walker toward the elevator, she was given a detailed description of her small room, including the curtains hanging from the window. I love it, she said, with the enthusiasm of an eight-year-old girl who was just handed over a new pet. But Mrs. Jones, you haven't seen the room yet. Just wait. Well, that doesn't matter, she replied. Happiness is something you decide over time. Whether or not I like my room doesn't depend on how the furniture is arranged. It depends on how I arrange my mind. I've already decided that I like it. It's a decision I make every day when I wake up. I have the choice. I can spend the day in bed going through the difficulty I have with my body parts that don't work or get out of bed and be thankful for the parts that do work. Every day is a gift. And as long as my eyes open, I will focus on the new day and the happy memories I've stored just for this time in my life. Happiness is like a bank account. You withdraw from it what you deposit. So my advice would be to deposit a lot of happiness into your memory account. Remember these five simple things. One, free your heart from hate and discord. Two, free your mind from worries. Three, live simply. Four, give more. Five, take less. Oh, that's beautiful, Charlie. Yeah, really nice. So ladies and gentlemen, please stay tuned for the continuing saga of Everyone Dies, and thank you for listening. This is Charlie Navarrete, and from the Twilight Zone episode titled A Game of Pool, comedian Jonathan Winters as Fats Brown Deceased pool hustler observes, as long as people talk about you, you're not really dead. And I'm Marianne Matzo, and we'll see you next week. Remember, it's never too late to start your happiness account, and every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. 
Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.